1: Hello and welcome to the first RHS Gardening Podcast of 2016. Happy New Year. Let's hope 2016 is a great year for gardeners all over the UK and has less extreme weather than the previous one. I'm Tony Dickerson, one of the RHS's team of horticulture advisors based here at RHS Garden, Wisley in Surrey. Every fortnight in these podcasts we explore a wide range of gardening topics. Plant care, growing your own fruit and vegetables... Pest control, garden design, ideas for small spaces and places to visit. Plus, we bring you expert gardening advice throughout the year. Coming up in this edition, our advisors answer your seasonal gardening questions. Escape to the sun and banish the January blues by planning a gardening trip abroad this summer with RHS Garden Holidays. And, as always, the latest news on RHS Garden events across the UK. But first, the weather may be grim, but there's still plenty to be done outside. Let's see what jobs the garden teams here at Wisley are tackling this month. My name is Markus Ratscheid,
2: I'm garden manager here at Wisley at the flagship gardens of the Royal Horticultural Society and today I would like to give you some gardening tips and garden advice for January. January for most people appear to be a dull, grey, dark month of the year but in fact it can turn out to be one of your busiest most months of the year, because that's the time when you want to prepare your garden, when you want to do after preparations of your garden from the previous season, but you really want to get yourself into the pole position of the upcoming season. So everything to get ready starts in the ground. So. The best time of the year is now to get your soil cultivation under control. Speak to your local farmer, speak to your local supplier of farmyard manure. Get a good load of it. Well-rotted farmyard manure is great to all garden plants, especially in your vegetable garden. Apply it generously and then get your border fork out to get it in. Or if you got someone to help you or if you want to do it yourself, do double digging in your vegetable garden, get your load in and really create the best growing conditions for your vegetables, for your plants in your garden. Go to your winter garden, go to your conservatory and check for the ventilation because January is the time of the year when the ventilation is pretty poor and fungal diseases, especially on your greenhouse, are predominant at this time of the year. So important is that you get your frost protection in and your circulation of air. So fungal diseases will not cause you a problem because you have a well-aerated conservatory. Also, that time of the year, you can bring your planters into your glass house into your conservatory, into your winter garden, your planters of herbs. Herbs can be uh, forced in your conservatory, so you get an early crop of uh, various uh, chives, parsley, oregano, marjoram, and all other herbs that you want to use in your kitchen. And with a little bit of heat, they will give you a head start. If you're adventurous and you want to really do something really exciting, get into forcing tulips. Tulips can be obtained from your local garden center. You may still have some left. and By taking those into the cold conditions of the outside for about 8 weeks and then move them in pots or in containers to indoors in the really warm conditions of your living room, you're effectively forcing them into flower. So, effectively, you could have a bloom, a pot of tulips, or even lovely scented narcissi, daffodils, or hyacinths, and place three of them in one pot, heat them into your warm growing space and then in a couple of days literally they are shooting out the pot and you got magnificent scent and you can impress your neighbors
1: you can find out more information about plants and all aspects of gardening techniques on the advice pages of the rhs website go to rhs.org.uk forward slash advice i'm tony dickerson and you're listening to the rhs gardening podcast now question time As regular podcast listeners will know, every month on the RHS Gardening Podcast, members of our advice team join us to answer some of the queries about gardening problems they've received recently. Every year we receive thousands of inquiries ranging from problems with pests and diseases, advice on plant care, choosing the right plant for difficult locations and many more. One of the benefits of being a member of the RHS is that you can get advice on any gardening problem, for free, from our advice team, by phone, post or email, or in person at any of the RHS flower shows. So let's join my colleagues and tackle some of the problems we've received recently. I'm Lee
3: Hunt.
4: I'm the Principal Horticultural Advisor here at RHS Garden Wisley.
3: I'm Guy Barter. I work with the RHS Gardening Advice And I'm based in Surrey at Wisley.
5: And I'm Helen Bostock. I'm senior horticultural advisor at the RHS, and also known for being a bit of a wildlife expert.
1: An email here from Brendan Hughes. I'm looking for a quick-growing yet attractive coverage for an ugly new outbuilding. What can you suggest, please? Not Virginia creeper. So, Helen.
5: i don't know what they've got against poor old virginia creeper although it's a real monster if you're not careful it can absolutely cover a side of a building but if you've ever seen it in its full glory in autumn color vibrant reds and fiery sort of oranges then you really see it for what it can do but okay not virginia creeper i think if i was going to go for one my top one would be um lovely uh, climber called trachylospermum jasminoides um it's very versatile um, first of all it's got the advantage of being an evergreen so if you're trying to hide something a bit of an eyesore don't want to look at it behind um, that means that you don't have to worry about it becoming bare in the winter um, it although is not not going to get quite the same colors as the virginia creeper um, as temperatures drop going into winter months actually those evergreen leaves often take on a, a, a tinge of red or deep sort of purple coloration um It's also got um, attractive and scented flowers, as the uh, species name Jasminoides suggests. um, It has jasmine-like flowers, so it's not a true jasmine. Um, uh, It it is a different plant, but the flowers, lovely white um, ones in summer. You can grow it in containers if you need to do, but you probably won't get it to cover quite as big an area. So for the speed of growth, um, I would say try and get it in the ground. Often at the very base of a wall or a a vertical structure, it can be rather dry. So maybe just step it out 30 centimetres or a foot away from the wall. Um, Incorporate a little bit of organic material. So if you've got some garden compost um, or leaf mould, get that mixed in. Um, Keep it well watered, at least in the first couple of seasons. You can maybe do a bit of liquid feeding during the summer, a bit of miracle Grow or Phostrogen, something like that. And that should get it really sort of romping up up that structure. It will need some support. And you've got to think, uh, when you're choosing climbers, are they self-clinging? In which case, like ivy, you don't need to add any support structure to the wall. You might just need a couple of canes to angle them so the young stems uh, go in the right direction. Or is it a twining-type climber? Is it something like a... um, clematis armandii another big nice vigorous um winter flowering clematis um in which case you'll need probably like a trellis or some wires <clears throat> or is it something that that um, uh, really needs has no climbing ability at all that that needs you to be tying it in on a regular basis things like some of our roses um ramblers and climbers so just have a little think about that as well but now i'm going to stick with my top one of trackless jasminoides. can't go far wrong there
4: I think the idea that uh, you might need that instant cover is quite a tricky one to achieve. And there are quicker growing things, things like clematis montana, which have pink flowers. And they do have quite a lot of woody branches in the winter, which will cover over the sort of structure. But I'm just wondering actually whether if it's a sort of ugly building it's quite hard to imagine how we're seeing this and i'm wondering whether it actually needs some sort of barrier and whether a tree is actually more useful because it's going to give you the clear stem because often you you want to plant around it or whatever in a garden and then the view is quite high up so it's a way of getting the foliage up there to to cover that um, you can also buy semi-mature trees so although they're bigger they're expensive it's a way of bringing in something that can begin to give a more instant block but just be careful because uh, the cheaper bigger things tend to be the because they're faster bigger trees so you might have to pay quite a lot more for a smaller slower growing tree that's already a big size.
3: RHS member A. Corbin of Poole Dorset Um, wishes to know whether they can grow monkey puzzle that's a large spiky tree with a particularly umbrella shape that you see around very very greatly um from the seeds of the tree that their aunt has an an ancient tree in their aunt's garden well that sounds like a a laudable um endeavor what do we think
1: monkey puzzle uh, a fascinating tree from uh, chile where it's quite endangered um often planted in the most inappropriate places in front of uh, houses where uh, I think people don't appreciate just how big it will eventually grow, often appears to set uh, seed. The problem is it's rarely viable in this country. So the first thing I think uh, uh, Mr Corbyn here needs to do is actually take some of the seed, cut them in half, look very closely. Uh, If they're fertile, they'll be quite uh, fat and oily, and there'll be no obvious gap between what we call the cotyledons, the, uh, as it were, the seed leaves. Um, if they do appear viable, they can certainly just be sown in ordinary John Innes uh, potting compost or seed compost rather. And uh, left out in a cold frame should germinate in due course in the spring and off you go. Uh, but I say do bear in mind when you're planting these monkey puzzles that they do need quite a bit of space.
4: Mike Cox has emailed in and he rather wryly says, Despite my name, I. Cox, I'm interested in heritage apples. Can you recommend a good cooker and a good eater that will grow to a medium height on a clay based soil, please? I'm interested in unusual heritage varieties with a good flavour.
1: Well, yes, yeah, Cox is a very popular apple, but. Um... Uh, very difficult to grow well, very disease-prone and so on. So often something with a bit of cocks in the breeding will give you all the benefits without the disadvantages. And one would be sunset. And another actually originated here at Wisley, one called Pixie in 1947. Um, you don't find it very often because the fruits are slightly on the small side, but very crisp, good long keeper. And that together with one called Chivers Delight, I think one from the 1920s would be my choice these are crisp apples firm quite cox-like slightly acid a little bit of a an edge there to the taste uh, but with developing sweetness when they're kept in storage so uh, those would be my choices I
4: um, ducked out of this question, but it's because it's got a good story. Uh, Blenheim Orange is one of the more common and reliable varieties, and it's a good cooker, and it does have sort of orangey golden fruit. Um, It's from 1825 and from Buckinghamshire, but it was bred by Mr Cox. He was actually a retired brewer from near Slough. So um, perhaps if this Mr Cox, Mike Cox, likes his beer and a good cooker, that might be the variety for him.
5: So here we've got um, a question from our member, Alison Bright. Of She lives up in Manchester. And she says, quite simply, what's the best way to propagate rhododendrons? So we're assuming either she's got nice acid soil um, or has been growing these in pots in an ericaceous compost. But um, yeah, how, how can she propagate them, if at all?
3: Well, it all depends what kind of rhododendron we're talking about. Species rhododendrons can be easily grown from seeds. Um, however uh, most uh, rhododendrons are raised from semi-ripe cuttings that are taken in late summer early autumn and I've always found that wounding the stem which means taking out a strip of bark about the thickness of a pencil the width of a pencil rather and the length of of, of twice the width of your thumb and will provide a a better uh, wounded surface to generate roots Um, so they're not that easy but then again they're not that difficult either so they're worth considering for people who um, who have the opportunity consider layering uh, where you bend a branch down and cover it with a a mound of soil you can speed the process up by giving the branch a partial cut or a twist to wound it as you as you um, bury it Uh, often if you go to the, um, the, the the biggest and best gardens like Kew and Wisley you'll find that people are air layering where they've got a a plastic bag full of uh, moss or similar material tied around the stem and hoping that the stem will root out into the bag of moss which they can then sever and make a a new rhododendron. Um, Traditionally rhododendrons have been grafted and which is a very skilled process and beyond the the scope of most gardeners uh, where a seedling is grown and the seedling is then cut in a way that uh, absolutely matches a similar piece of wood cut from the tree you're intending to propagate. Although it's a very good way of doing it, it does require a lot of skill and practice.
5: Um, Dennis Carr and, oh dear, poor old Mr Carr has got a a charred catastrophe. I'm sure we've all all been in that position. Um, He tells us that he's been trying to grow rainbow chard, so that's those wonderful coloured stemmed ones, um, as a decorative veg in my border for years, well, three years to be precise, and it's never worked. He's got a clay soil. Um, he tells us that he's dug uh, lots of manure in first before planting. And, yeah, he's just wondering if we can tell him where he's going wrong.
1: Yes, for a vegetable, very attractive, multicoloured stems, but also the leaves, very large, corrugated, really strong, glossy green. Um, and, yeah, great, just as a ornamental plant. I wonder if the problem here, growing in borders... Uh, whether there's just too many plants round about not very much air movement chard does suffer from one or two fungal infections of light which will certainly affect the leaves and so on so i wonder if that's the problem it, it may be that a clump or two in its own little space with a bit of sun a bit of air movement uh, i think that should be fine they grow very or they're grown very easily from seeds so um, i'm wondering if that's the problem
5: So I took out a couple of rows this year um, for chard and my problem was um, it all bolted. Um, I don't know, that might have been perhaps a bit of um, cold nights early on in the season. I don't know. What do you think, Guy? You're a chard man, aren't you?
3: Well, I think um, that's the question here and we don't really know enough to answer it. the phrase sort of it never works we're not quite sure did they not come up did they not grow did they were they affected by disease or or insect damage did they run to seed or as bolt as it's technically called so we're not quite sure exactly what's going on here Um, so it might be as well first of all to check that the seed is viable by sowing a pinch in a pot When you're sure the seed is viable, I'll cut the pot on the windowsill. When you're sure the seed is viable, wait until the soil is warm. And that's going to be mid-April onwards. And uh, you can either sow in pots and transplant out or better, sow in situ. once the seeds have have, um, emerged, then uh, thin them down quite quickly so that they're not too crowded. They've got at least the width of your hand between the plants because clay soil can be very difficult for plants to emerge and you might want to cover the seeds as you as you put them in the soil in, in a, what we call a drill which is a little groove in the soil um, about the depth of your finger uh, just cover them with some potting compost uh, any potting compost will do so then they'll be able to come up even if the clay so the clay doesn't pack down hard over them and uh, give them plenty of space i would suggest they would want an area around them um, about the width of your foot each side of your booted foot i would say then that'll that'll give them their best um their best course of action one sown in april shouldn't bolt until quite late in the year possibly indeed not until the following year with any luck so hopefully these uh, suggestions cover all the possibilities here
1: the rhs advice team as well as free gardening advice rhs members also get free entry to all four rhs gardens and the opportunity to buy discounted tickets and priority tickets to RHS shows and events. You can find out more about the benefits of becoming a member on our website. Just go to rhs.org.uk forward slash join. For many people, January is the perfect time to start planning a holiday. Gloomy cold days make winter feel never-ending, and a holiday offers something to look forward to in the year ahead. The popularity of garden tools and horticultural holidays is growing every year. The RHS organises a whole range of holidays for garden enthusiasts, ranging from tours of Europe, cruises, lecture tours, short breaks in the UK, and epic world tours visiting exotic locations such as Chile, New Zealand and South Africa. All explore the native flora as well as some of the exquisite public and private gardens. So what makes a gardening holiday so special? Sabatina Urzo, one of the horticultural guides leading groups on RHS gardening tours in Europe this summer.
6: I've been a Weasley for almost six years now and I've been involved with the RHS Garden Holiday for three, probably four years almost. I've been hosting tours uh, in Italy, uh, especially on the eternal city of Rome and uh, the Italian uh, lakes in the northern in Lombardia, around Como uh, and, and the Milan area. Uh, next year, I will be able to host uh, another tour in the southern Italy, uh, which is Naples and the Garden of the Amalfi Coast. Uh, Italy is uh, absolutely a fascinating country for many, many reasons. Uh, for the beauty, the cultural beauty, the gastronomical side, and probably above all, the history, uh, is uh, a very, very ancient country. Uh, and this um, history and culture has been transferred throughout uh, the years into these wonderful gardens that we will be able to visit and that I have visited in the past uh, with the RHS, but also travelling by uh, myself. Uh, style-wise, uh, they are very different. You know, you go the Northern Italy, you go the Centre Italy, and then you go the Southern Italy. Until 150 years ago, the country used to be a, um, divided into micro-kingdom uh, with different uh, uh, royal family uh, and obviously style uh, as well, of running their own kingdom and uh, um, putting their own stamp into uh, their own um, royalty in somehow and gardens. Northern Italy is very luxurious in some aspect. If you think the Lombardia region, where I've been with the RHS uh, in the last few years, um, around Milan area, gardens are actually super luxurious. Uh, with a very, very classical Italian style with central European influence in somehow, because Milan is actually not quite far from France. So there are some uh, French uh, elements that you can see uh, as additional uh, parts of these gardens. This story is absolutely fascinating, yes, because you will be able to see classical Italian gardens, but yes, you go back to two or three thousand years and see actually how everything started for the old Europe and maybe the old world. Because there are some of the gardens that we will be able to see in Pompeii. Uh, Pompeii is a a Roman archaeological site. It's the only Roman archaeological site still intact. It's a proper city. Uh, There is actually a proper map where you will be able to read the name of the road and the houses and numbers and everything. It's actually an enormous archaeological site. And some of the Roman's gardens, are still there, obviously under a skeleton Uh, ruins, uh, um, is a UNESCO World Heritage, uh, the old site, and you will be able to see still some of the plants that the Romans, uh, they used to grow, such as the Nerium oleander, the olive trees, uh, and herbs as well. They used to be um, huge, huge fan of lavanda, salvia, uh, rosemary, these aromatic, uh, officinalis uh, herbs uh, to cure themselves. Uh, as well. why? How do we know these? Well, if you uh, travel through the city of Pompeii, you can see that there are some uh, still some graffiti and painting or how the gardens they used to be. So that's how the archaeologists find out what kind of plants the Romans they were using. The Pumigrana is another one, much, much loved, uh, very well loved by the Romans. So we will go back to 2,000 and maybe 3,000 years because there's a lots of Greek elements and also we will be able to move on on classical Italian gardens and also even on something more contemporary uh, such as gardens of the Amalfi Coast like Villa Rufolo Villa Cimbrone uh, they are more contemporary gardens. they have a more romantic style slightly probably, yes, classical Italian but Britishized somehow very, very romantic you see the terracotta container you see the climber growing on the ruins on the statue, on the columns This is very, very contemporary after the Italian Baroque. Um, Also, uh, the the actual tour will be far more interesting than that because we will go and visit one of the three islands of the Gulf of Naples, uh, the island of Ischia, which is a volcanic island where there is one of the most beautiful gardens in the world, uh, created by uh, um, Walton, um, which is a british composer uh, They married susanna uh, this lady from argentina and they created this uh, subtropical and mediterranean garden uh, where you will be able to see the native flora mediterranean flora that is gluing uh, in a very romantic and charming way uh, and lush way with the subtropical plants everything growing outdoor there's no greenhouse bedding scheme created with uh, uh, subtropical plants like Tilansia or Bromeliaceae that we are able to see them here in a, in a greenhouse is everything growing outdoor without any winter protection is absolutely an extraordinary site made on different level terraces of the uh, island. So there is a low level quite Arabic as well um, with uh, how the water is running through these public paths. So while you will walk through the garden, you see the lushness of the tree ferns. With the Mediterranean flora, the Mediterranean sea that you will have on your left side, and then the sounds of the water that will uh, that will follow you on your uh, on your way up to the second terrace and third terrace of the garden. It's absolutely an extraordinary uh, site. Um, well, by booking the RHS holiday, you will be able to, su- to support the wonderful charitable work of this amazing, incredible organisation, such as the Campaign for School Garden in Britain in Bloom and Green in Great Britain as well, and much, much more. So I would strongly advise you to look the RHS website, look the brochure and select your uh, RHS tour. Maybe why not see where the RHS host is here and you could book yourself into one of these and uh, share your passion for gardens with the RHS host and maybe with the, the guest as well. And again, you could meet probably your, your friends for the rest of your life, which I'm pretty sure of that.
1: you find more details of the whole range of destination and trips available this year at rhs.org.uk forward slash RHS So that's nearly all for this RHS Gardening podcast. There's just time for details of some of the exciting RHS events and attractions coming up in the first few weeks of 2016. Come and discover the beautiful woodlands at RHS Garden Hyde Hall every Tuesday and Thursday throughout January. Starting at 11am, the guided walks are free, and afterwards you can warm up with a bowl of soup and cheese scone for £4. Come and unravel the mysteries of apple pruning at RHS Garden Rosemore on Thursday the 21st of January. We'll be looking at formative pruning of young apple trees, as well as pruning established trees. The practical demonstration starts at 11am, booked by the 19th of January. Are you new to gardening and unsure what you should be doing? or keen gardener wanting tips on your timings. Join us at RHS Garden Harlow Carr on Friday the 22nd of January at 10am to learn more about the seasonal tasks due in the garden. Be sure to book early as places are limited. Take an early morning walk around RHS Garden Wisley with the RSPB on Saturday 23rd of January and discover what bird life is dwelling in the garden on the RSPB Big Garden Bird Walk. The walk starts at 8.30am and ends with a full English breakfast. Booking is essential and discounted places are available for RHS members. Full details of all events and more are on the RHS website. Go to rhs.org.uk forward slash Gardens What's On. So that's all we have time for in this edition. We'll be back in a fortnight. Until then, remember to follow us on Twitter at the underscore RHS and like us on Facebook. For now, from me, Tony Dickerson, and all the RHS Gardening Podcast team, goodbye.